TNTM The Show presents New Mexico Comic Expo panel, Chris Claremont and Roy Thomas. He had done a little research and uh, John made out this thing and he, somehow I, I guess he drew the claws and uh, I think it was maybe Leonard and Chris that decided to make him out of adamantium. That was kind of nice. That was a bonus. He wasn't even officially a mutant at that time. He was just this character. But we knew right away he was going to be a hero. He's, everybody got introduced as a villain, but you know he, we weren't going to introduce our first Canadian character and make him a straight villain unless you got one to do. So anyway, that was it. And Len, uh, you know, made up that character not with the idea of uh, being an X-Men or a mutant. Certainly not an X-Men because there wasn't an X-Men book at that time. But there was a few weeks, you know, later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But so, Roy, really quick, did you know even Hugh Jackman had no idea what a Wolverine was, too? No, I didn't. So, him and, but I had no idea what Hugh Jackman hadn't been born yet. <laughs> no, but it's just so funny now. John, uh, John Romita didn't know, and then now you got yeah. another guy who portrayed him. He had no idea. Either. And Len said he had to look it up. Yeah. He, he forgot that I, what I had told him and said, I had looked up, I learned, oh, it was a small animal, fierce. I said, well, I told you that. You know? <laughs> but anyway, he, he did a great job on it, but then he moved on. After an issue two being so busy, after all, doing X-Men, that was just another book to him. So he handed it off this guy, Claremont, because you know, he needed a job. And I asked National Geographic, so I knew what Wolverine's actually <laughs> <laughs> What about uh, your relationship to Wolverine? Well, short. Well, the interesting thing was that Len's original conception of him was that he was a kid, which struck both uh, Dave Cockrum and I as odd since he's introduced in Giant Size Number One as a captain in the Canadian Armed Forces, and generally speaking, they're not. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we we remember these things. <laughs> and the other thing was that um, uh, I mean, his the mutant power was his ability to heal, but we both both Dave and I felt that that was kind of eh. What do you do? I get better. Okay. And, but he had these claws. And Len's conception was the claws were part of the gloves. And both Dave and I weren't comfortable with that because it was this, for us in those days, it was the same problem. Would give him, put him in the same problem that Tony Stark faced as Iron Man because the problem, you, you immediately bond with Peter Parker because Peter Parker is Spider-Man. You immediately bond with Thor because, okay, you pick up the hammer and, and he's now Thor. But Tony, he puts on a suit. But anybody can put on the armor, you know, and be, be Iron Man, which has been a plot line that was used at least two or three hundred times <laughs> since then. So if, if the gloves if the, the claws are part of the gloves, then whoever puts on the, the gloves is essentially Wolverine. Could have been O.J. Simpson. It could have been O.J. Simpson. Perhaps <laughs> <laughs> was. It was. <laughs> it's just deep. You know? Uh, I guess you could, you know, I, <laughs> the, the line that popped into my head is not what I'm So, Dave came in one day with a sketch of the claws coming out of his hand. And my reaction was, oh, that's disgusting. That is so cool. <laughs> and we did it. And, the other, and that led to the second key revelation about Logan is that um, 
he doesn't volunteer anything. It's like, you never told us the claws were part of you. You never asked, which became his signature line. You know, it's like with him, it's his his life is his life. It's nothing. It's none of your damn business. If you ask, he'll answer or not. But that's it. Which sort of became the defining elements. I did have to, th you know, it crossed my mind more than once why he, he's running around the Canadian wilderness in a bright yellow romper. <laughs> I mean, you know, wolverines don't look like that. I mean, I mean, brown doesn't register very well, but... So from there on, we were basically off and running. Um, well, Chris, I wanted to ask you, what did you think of uh, Dave Cockrum's, the hair that he gave Wolverine when, when, when you saw him unmasked? Or did you have something to do with that hairstyle? Well, the interesting thing was John Byrne had a different vision. <laughs> he drew, he drew basic, your basic John Byrne face. It was a nice, sort of rough-hewn, ordinary guy, which you look at it, and it was actually my, my visceral reaction was the same as having the claws in his gloves. It was like, great, he looks like everybody else, who cares? And then Dave came in with the hair, and it was like, cool. He looked like he was unique and individual, which was the key thing. It's like, you know, Ben Grimm, even when he was Ben Grimm, kind of reminded you of being the thing. Um, you know, I've been talking to a lot of uh, kid, a lot of people today about how the three seminal series that got me into this business were Stan and Jack doing the coming of Galactus, and that led me to Thor, and that led me to the Avengers with Roy and John Buscema, and it was like, holy cow, this is really cool stuff. I mean, starting an issue of Avengers with everybody gathered around a fire that's hardly burning on the top of a mountain that's apparently a mile high, and it's like, what do we do now? I, how, how are we going to get out of this mess? And I go, is that what I'm like? Yeah, of course okay. it was. It's <laughs> but the, the other thing, sorry, this is a, a sidebar, but you got to understand the kind of reality that Marvel was back then. I mean, in those days, I was working as an editorial assistant, which is very low on the totem pole. So Roy would come in like Odin, basically at five at five thirty, and he would hold up an issue that. Uh, in this case, it was, I think, a Jerry Conway uh, book that Jerry was late on. And he said, okay, I need this written by 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Who wants it? <laughs> and, Don's, you know, my, my stupidity was I got my hand up first. <laughs> but the whole point of this was it, it was a test. It was a reality book. It was a test. You had basically 10 hours to write this book. No fooling. And if you got it turned in at eight o'clock the next morning when, you all arrive, when we all arrived for work, you'd get another shot. If you couldn't get it in by 10 o'clock, by eight o'clock the next morning, not only go to the back of the line, you should reconsider what you're doing here because Marvel was a professional organization. But it better be pretty good too, you know, besides just the words. Well, yeah, that was, yeah, but I mean, that was the thing. You started off by getting, proving you could get it in on time and then Roy would end the living daylights out of it. No, no, no. You know, I, you know, I changed very few words and much of anything. I, I, I had no time to edit. My idea was get somebody good, and if he can't write, get him get the hell out of there and get somebody else. That's that's my system. I mean, that was, that was Stan's <laughs> philosophy because, yeah. you know, I'm the I'm the editor in chief. This is back when he was the editor in chief. I got too much to do just trying to keep the stupid company alive. 
If I'm giving you the book, I trust you with the book. You get it in on time, be good, and don't be a pain in my ass. And if you could do that, you were in, you were in the catbird seat. It, we weren't, there was not this huge, you have to fit it into this continuity and that continuity. There were huge fights over continuity, but what the hell, we were just making it up anyway. Um, it was fun. And, and the thing, this is going back even more to the dawn of time, forgive me. I, when I first came in, I was, I was a gopher, which is like the, the bottom of the, 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 it wasn't even on the editorial pie, pie sheet. It's like, we call them interns now. And this is so far, you know, go for this, go for that, go for the other. So I was sitting there, and I'm doing proofreading. This is back when Roy and Neil's X-Men came in, and this is what got me hooked, because I'm reading this stuff and thinking, oh my god, this is the most beautiful thing ever. And I'm reading mail saying, how could you replace Werner Roth with this poser, with this, like, pretty girls? I'm like, God, you need drugs, dude. <laughs> so one day, I'm, I'm reading back issues of Sergeant Fury. At the same time, as the latest issue is coming in, you proofread. And it's, there's a, you know, it's a lovely story about Nick Fury going home to his, to his mom and his younger brother, who is going to grow up to become Scorpio. Except I'm reading the trial of Nick Fury at the same time by Stan and Jack. And the priest is on, on the witness stand saying, well, sir, you know, he grows up in Hell's Kitchen and he's an orphan. I'm thinking, uh-oh. So I go to Roy and I say, we have a problem. And he says, what? And I say, I show him the two issues and I say, we've established him as being an orphan, now he's got a family. And he says, okay, call Stan. What? Call Stan. Tell him. What? I want, you found it, you fix it. You go call Stan. And I'm going, Right, I'm like 18 years old. I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, call. It, it, this is a longer conversation than he actually had. He just said call and went back to work. So I called Stan, and you know, after we got over the first, hey there, true believer. <laughs> his reaction was much the same. You found it, you fix it. And I, you know, he hung up. And Roy says, so what do you say? Uh, <laughs> fix it. And Roy said, so fix it. <laughs> That was, mar that was Marvel. I mean, it was like 12 people in an office creating the world. And the fact that you were there meant you had a certain trust. And as far as, as Roy was concerned, he has too much else to do to worry about something like fixing stuff. He, he tells you to fix it, fix it. If you can't, you're out the door. That's an indescribable lesson if you're just starting out in this business, because you have, that tells you your own sense of value, but it shows you what the stakes are. And that's something that, that as a professional, I find I miss these days in a lot of places. Sorry. I to... No, no, how'd you fix it? Um, he was adopted. Right. Went, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now that you mentioned it. No, I mean, it, it's just I'm staring at it for a half hour, and so like, ding. Oh, yeah. He was adopted. The only difference between him and me was I, I would have probably solved it faster. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it was a perfect fix. I mean, he was, you can fix almost anything. There's almost nothing that can happen in the story. You can't, I always say, you can't kill somebody dead enough, cut him into enough pieces, really? bury him deep enough that he can't come back. You know, he'll get better, you know. You know, yeah. we've all had that. If Bucky can come back, anybody can come back. <laughs> he, he was blown up for that. Even when the editor-in-chief promises that the redhead won't rise. 
something always happens. Yeah. Sorry, that was just me. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, when did, what year did you start, Chris, in, at Marvel? You really want to know? Well, I mean, was, was he editor in chief at no, that time? No, no, Stan was editor in chief. Yeah. We knew. No, this is when Marvel was up on. Uh, uh, Somewhere in Madison. No, seven, yes, yeah, seventy, seventy three. We had. We were two floors yeah. below National Lampoon. Yeah, yeah. Who got bomb thrusts? <laughs> so we had to clear Right. Yeah. yeah. We we were owned by magazine management. We were the we were the the kids end of the of the scale, along with you know such eloquent magazines as um, Stag, Mail. There you go. As Harvey Kurtzman. Not M A I L, the other one. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the kind of magazines Harvey Kurtzman so wonderfully called uh, Men's Sweat magazine. Uh, <laughs> We were young. I mean, and Martin Goodman was proud of those magazines because they made more money. But the, that's but what in the long it. run, Martin Goodman is only remembered now for Marvel, most, yeah. because maybe Mario Buzo worked for him and Marvel Comics came out of yeah. maybe Shaft. That's about it. See, Martin Goodman was the, the publisher, right? Yeah. At the, yeah. This is this is good because I always wanted to know, Roy. Why don't you tell? Why don't you tell them your first impression of Martin Goodman, and then because you knew him too, right, Chris? I I was too far down the toilet hole. Like, like so, oh he. Did you, did you, did you, no, I knew Stan. Yeah. That, that was as far as I went. You didn't get a chance to talk to Goodman very much. He was he was just this press at the other end of the hall. If, if he wanted to talk to you, know, even Stan, you, Stan had to go down to him. He, yeah. he didn't come up to our end of the hall very much. Wait, he had his own entrance. Well, there was a hall. Well, that's wow. Time. There was a hall. <laughs> this, was, this was back when magazine management and Marvel were kind of all so much together. And yeah. down the hall was, you know, I guess Pugh was there working. And, Bruce Jake Friedman and all these, Ernest Tidyman right before he created Shaft and things like that. And Rona Barrett was working for the things that they were all down there, you know, and so forth. And, and you know, once in a while you'd be called down to Goodman's. But my experience with Goodman was things like I'm walking down the hall one day with uh, Burport, John Burport and his production <coughs> manager, who's about six foot five, 300 pounds, you know, and so forth. And, yeah, just I'm a little shorter than that. And then we run into. Uh, Martin, uh, Martin Goodman, and he doesn't know what to say to us ever, because, you know, we're just peons. Yeah, so he says, uh, says uh, how's Bill Everett? Because he, he remembers Bill from creating the Submariner four years ago. So he says, uh, so John says, oh, he's, he's making a comeback. And Goodman says, oh, he's always making a comeback. And he wonders, oh, that's, that's, uh, that's my, you know, that was about all it was. The only thing that was good was in the 1970, early 70s, Stan had me write a thing. He said, why don't you write a couple of page memo to Martin Goodman about uh, why we should license a sword and sorcery character because people were writing in telling us we should not necessarily code him, but just license him, not make up one, but license one. So I did. And Martin Goodman liked that memo so much, he not only okay doing it, but every, two, and the two or three other times I ever saw him in my life, both times he mentioned it, and at first I was kind of flattered. Then I realized this is the only thing he can remember. <laughs> this memo, you know, that I wrote twice. He mentioned it to me because he didn't do what else to say to me if I was the other dream in the company. Not such a bad thing, though. Not a, well, it's, I wish I'd saved the memo. I, I, it must have been great. We ended up you know, getting one of Marvel's best-selling comics. I but you, you always hear, like, there's a legend of Martin Good because, you know, like, you hear it from Stan, you read it in books, and it's always like, so I, I, he, he made me sound like if you were, you know, like you were down the if you saw him, you kind of like hid, like you didn't want him to see you or something. Is that is that true? What, Martin Goodman? Yeah, Martin. I see. When I was first there, I was only there for like two and a half months. So I, 
the thing I remember is George, George, uh, John Verporten coming down the hall like, you know, it, just imagine Chris Hemsworth in, in Avengers, in Infinity Wars 2, but three times the size. And you know, <laughs> I mean, that was John. John just looked down on you. But you gotta understand, the bullpen back then was John Sr., John Romita Sr., Herb Trimpey, Frank Giacoya, and Marie Severin. I mean, those were the people who were doing the art corrections. <laughs> I mean, you look around the office and now you think, whoa, Clash of the Titans. But then it was like, these, this is, you're working in, in like a wonderful, a magnificent place. And Stan had the only door. <laughs> you know, and his office was as big as all the others put together. Put together yeah. I was always impressed by the fact that I worked for Mort Weisinger for a couple of weeks at DC Comics, the editor of Superman, seven comics, most successful comics in the world. Stan's office was two or three, even then, when I came over to Marvel in 65, and I walk in, Stan's office was two or three times as big as Mort Weisinger's office, <laughs> you know, with this little tiny company. And the, the, other, the others were Saw Bratsky and Flo Steinberg, and then later I was crowded in one little office. Yeah, there were cubicles. And Marie Severin and, and uh, mm -hmm. Steve Skates have been for it, or someone mm -hmm. who was working on uh, commercial comics. Mm -hmm. And those, those two offices together weren't as big as Stan's, you know, and everything. Mm -hmm. I don't know, he, he didn't get himself the Carter office, he just got the whole Carter, you know, and, and everything. But, uh, you know, but it worked out okay. No, it was, yeah, it was, it was ridiculously fun, you know, and, and, the, the nicest thing about it was, at least from, from a creative point of view, at least watching it, it all came in, you know, came in on, uh, it was hard copy original art. You know, not like today where you just press a button and go, Shh, you know, streaming through the internet. Now you actually, you actually had pages you could look at. And, and we drew pictures, we, we drew balloons on them. We didn't just, you know, press anything. Usually we drew the actual balloons and put pointers and erase things. And yeah, no, you, had, things you had to know how to, you had, actually had to, have a sense of visual placement and know how to spell. <laughs> well, it's like we're for too much now. Yeah, I right, yeah, could, yeah. some of them could. So, Chris, when you were coming through, when you were coming through, and now you started to get the chance to write X Men and stuff, then Roy leaves, and then you have, you know, that little changing of the guard and editor in chiefs. But you worked under Jim Shooter. How was, how, yeah, I had to throw this in here. How, because your comic at the time was the most successful thing at Marvel. I know, I know you and Frank Miller were doing very well. Roy was already long gone at the time. Yeah, but Roy, I mean, the thing was, it's like, I hate to say it, but going back, I mean, the thing, the thing I loved the most out of being there in the beginning was, you know, Roy and Neil were trying to figure out the best way to, to get rid of the Sentinels. And, and I happened to be in the right place at the right time, I said the right word, and Roy took it. And then like four years later, I sent him a pitch for a story, and not only did he buy it, yeah. he gave me 20 bucks. And credit. And credit. <laughs> wow. Thanks to a welcome plot assist. 20 bucks was more than it is. Don't laugh. It, no, I mean, I had. The first, I don't remember your mentioning that sun idea, but I have no doubt you did. You said, in there, I just grabbed it up, you offered yeah. it free, I took it free. And Neil did the best what we, page what, we, what neither of us ever knew is that Neil obviously had the exact same idea before we did. What a surprise. Yeah, but anyway, um, we got this thing done and everything. Yeah. And, and so, so later when you came up with another idea, I think you took one or two lines yeah. from it. And it became the starting point. I don't remember if it was for all the two or three issues, but it was no. a good starting point for right. the sat and so forth. 
but I felt we should get some. Yeah. We'd all done so many things we didn't get credit for. We're going to stand it. and think, we, you know, I like to give some credit when we could. But I didn't know this guy was going to become, you know, one of the most important writers Marvel ever had. You just, you know, at the time, you just, this kid, you know. I was, I was acting for a living. Ten bucks was ten bucks, you know. It was, well, that's the thing. It's, you know, the journey of a thousand miles. And, and the raw excitement of actually learning by doing, of, of, getting in on the ground floor and watching all the pieces and fitting the pieces together at the same time is, is an inestimable, sorry, of inestimable value. And the thing also was that you could, you came into the business not as a fan, you came into it as a working professional in other fields. You brought different impressions, different exposures, different instincts. And it, you know, it was just, it, I mean, my memory of it is we were all sitting there figuring that the industry was going to be dead in five years, so why not have a little fun of it as we're going? That was, that was Dave's and my I idea. I never thought that, though. Well, see, I that's mean, why you're you and I'm not. <laughs> but, it, it, no, everybody has been saying this, but they've been saying that since the 50s. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, you know, they said it when word that was around, and, and, and it was almost true, and at various times, it did look like it's going to be, it's still every couple of weeks, it looks like it's going to be again and, I, and I've been hearing that you know, mm -hmm. for years and years but I never got but you know I don't know about you but I never got into it as a profession I never thought boy I'm gonna either that I'm just gonna do this for a couple of years then I'm gonna do something else or that I was gonna be doing this for the rest of my life I just got into it mm -hmm. and I just kept doing it when they when they were through with me or whatever either if, if I got into something else or mm -hmm. if they didn't like me anymore well I'd be gone you know and, and, and that was it. But I never thought of it. I don't think, you know, in long-term, you know, plans, uh, you know, two or three weeks is just fine with me, you know, as far as planning ahead. Well, no, with me, it was just, I'll, I'll do some work at Marvel and earn enough money to cover my, my rent while I go off and do summer sock. Because I I'm going to be an actor. <laughs> I, you know, that was, that was cool. I'd done, you know, doing after work, I've done, you know, hey, I'm the fourth flunky from the left in the courtroom scene. Yes! <laughs> Did you have some minor minor roles and stuff? Yes. I, I, don't, I don't know. Look, I've been on off, off Broadway. Oh. <laughs> As a Vietnamese refugee. A lot of blonde Vietnamese refugees back then. I, you know, cultural appropriation. No, I, I blamed it on the French. Okay. In a, in a play, I still, Bridegroom of Death. No subtlety there. But no, I mean, that's the thing. You, you, you're doing, you know, I, I worked at Macy's for a while. I mean, not Macy's, sorry, at Saxon Avenue, sorry, for a while. Um, you know, you do, you do what you need to do in New York. And the, no one expects this avalanche to come crashing onto you the way, I mean, you figure I'll work at, and bear in mind, when you say working at Marvel, we're doing 17 pages an issue for like, I don't know, 20 bucks a so page? Probably by then, something. Yeah. I so, had a higher rate, of course. Yeah. <laughs> he had the rate sheet. <laughs> but, you know, 300 bucks, it's like, wow, I can pay almost my rent. But that's it. You, you know, you, you're clawing your way up four different ladders, and you're caught by surprise by a lot of things. It's like, Whoa, I just been cast as James Bond. Whoopee. You know, or hmm, 
Len can't do the X-Men. Holy crap, a chance to work with Dave Cockrum? I'm in. Yeah, right. that, one thing I remember about Chris when he came to dinner years ago, so it's like 30 or something years ago at uh, Dan and my place in uh, South Hollywood, we were in there. I don't remember who else was there, but maybe Jared. I don't remember, but it was the three of us and one or two other people. And uh, I always got a kick out of the fact Chris said, you know, I says, I'm writing the best and worst selling comics at Marvel. He was writing X-Men and what was it, Spider-Woman. <laughs> I think that was oh, Spider-Woman. Spider I thought it was Miss Marvel. Well, maybe it was Miss whatever it, it was. It either way. I mean, it <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, of course, the, you know, the only thing that was really mattered, if you had the X-Men, it didn't matter if you also were doing the worst selling. Well, because I could then take the characters from the worst selling book and put them in the X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> or vice versa, just yeah. as a desperate attempt. But the, you know, the, the thing about comics is you do it every month. I mean, the, you know, this is, Archie Goodwin would say this to us when he was boss. You gotta do it, you know, if you screw up, you screw up, you got 30 days to fix it. Well, you know, if you can, we'll get somebody new. Um, that's, you're on an assembly line. But if you get the right people and the right characters and the right impetus, that assembly line can be a hell of a fun roller coaster. Um, it's the funny just, thing is, we didn't have to fire that many people, you know what I mean? Yeah. We didn't have that many people that did it, and then they got kicked out. If they got that far, they probably had enough talent, yeah. enough ambition, and the, and the majority of them, if they really wanted to, if they got in at all, they yeah. usually end up making it. But, but it can't, I still don't believe that just anybody could do it. It can't no. just be that anybody could have done it and we got lucky. You know, one of the things that bugs me in the recent years, and, and there, I got nothing with this, with bringing in people who've written best-selling books, or they've done you know, movie directors, they do this, that. <laughs> it's wonderful. So, you know, Marvel's system, as someone, as someone uh, reported it, was, well, we don't have to have these nobodies write the books anymore. We can get the, the top people. Well, well, that's fine. And it's true, and I think you should have people like that write some of the books. But you have to also think, who was it that made, you know, made up these characters? That uh, you know became these guys right here. I'm talking about going back to you know it was a bunch of nobodies. It was Jerry Siegel. It was, it was Stan Lee. You know, and I'm, I'm just talking writers here. But I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to ignore Jack Kirby, the artist too. But just talking to the people, the main writers. It was you know Chris, me, other people. You know, who kids like Jerry Conway came in as 18, 19 years old, and they you know they made characters that. I, are we really, can, can they, I, don't, I really don't think the suits, you know, up there on whatever floor they're on, but you necessarily are right in thinking that if you bring in some best-selling novelist, no. or you bring in some movie director, that he's necessarily going to have what what was needed for the comic books, especially if he isn't a, a comics fan. And if he isn't, then maybe he wasn't just a movie director or a best-selling novel. Maybe he was always a comic book nerd in the first place. You know. Well, the thing is, you have to remember that in a figure of standard cut. Depend. On a 20-page, if, if you've got a 20-page book, that gives you roughly 100 images. You've got to figure out how to get from page 1 to page 20. And you've got to do it with giving the artist visuals that they can play with, that the readers will follow. But you've got to do it in shorthand. You've got to, you've got to, it's, for me, it's like uh, listening to a really great jazz riff. If you've got the right artist and the right writer, you can just have fun with it. And it, the, thing I, the thing I find so frustrating now is it's so structured. The thing, the, the thing 
Stan's, the rule I learned when I was starting out was yes, every issue is a, is a one part story. If it's really good, you can go to two. If it's Galactus, you can go to two and a half. <laughs> but the last four pages, Johnny Storm has to go off for college, go off to college. The point being that if you, if you slip on banana peels somewhere in there, you can fix it. But if you're in the first of a 29-issue epic that covers seven different series over six months, and you have that foobar, you are just fucked. And that's, that's the problem, that, that you, get so into, you get so into the structure and the inter integration of so many different elements and so many different talents, you know, you lose sight of it. And I mean, the joy of comics in those days is, you look at the first issue of, that Barry Smith turned in, uh, God, what was it, it was Iron Fist? Before he did the Avengers, he was an excellent. Oh my God! He drew it on his park benches. I don't think he had an apartment in New York. No, he was, he was drawing it on park, and it was, Awful. it was a yeah. Thank you. <laughs> With you know, it was like it was like Strenko, you know, on a, on a bad drunken day. <laughs> Except that the second story he turned in mm -hmm. was so much better, and the third one was so much. The, the two Avengers stories that you guys did right. that was much later. Yeah, and I was looking at this and kind of going, holy cow. And then Conan. And then even then, if you look at over the first dozen or 15 yeah. issues of Conan, every issue gets better. You know, at some point, he loses the hat with the funny horns out the front. <laughs> I guess he hung it on the bar and kept going. But it's, it's just, holy cow. You watched him evolve. You watched Byrne evolve. You watched Cochran evolve. This sort of thing was, it was so, I repeat myself, but it was fun. You were you were sort of in on the ground floor watching like black and white movies turn into color. Um, and that's what I always thought, that's what made me love comics and what comics, what made it so exciting for the audience. One of the reasons I think comics uh, by, especially by oh, the late 60s and early 70s and around here, began to get a little more diverse too is uh, because as much as, as big as Stan had been as an influence, and, and, and especially when you put Stan and Jack together in the way they influenced the whole, you know, company, uh, by, by the late 60s, early 70s, you know, that began to be a little saturated, so, that, so you needed other people to come in. What was nice is you could have people come in all, that, who, that who, they came in right away, at Marvel at least, knowing what was needed. They may or may not be able to deliver it, but they, they, you know, but they knew what was needed because they'd read the comics. They'd read the comics by Stan, maybe even read the ones by me and a few other people. And I was sort of writing in a very similar style. So they sort of knew what was aimed. If you could do that, if you could do that, and you could, then you could also put your own spin on it. They saw that I wrote a little differently from Stan and, and had certain different values. They saw the same thing other with, with other, the other couple of writers that came in. It was Gary Frieder, he'd help people and so forth, went off and, and if you could, if you could do enough, close enough to what Stan and Roy liked, but at the same time you could go off and do your other thing. So you end up with the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the Len Weems and the Marv Wolfmans and Steve uh, Gerber, Steve, Steve Gerber, Steve Englehart, excellent example. You know, Gerber was of course completely nuts. 
But uh, Steve Squire. <laughs> but uh, Steve, uh, Steve Engelhart you know, came in with his own view. Uh, Don McGregor was you know, kind of off the wall. <laughs> all right. Now, no, no, and now it's the, all a major motion picture. Go now, figure, it's a, now it's a major. Yeah, at the time, it sold about 30 copies, I think. You know, Black Panther, you know, like one of the worst selling things around. But, but no, you know, yeah. but, but, you know, I knew he was like pouring his heart into it. So, you know, I, I kind of, you know, he shot it probably been replaced, you know, as a writer. But, you know, but what the hell? We had nobody to pretty replace it. It was selling well, just well enough, so we let it go. Now, of course, they've, they've taken those elements, and, and because they were good elements, and I, you know, they made them into major, major things. But, you know, you had a bunch and all these various people. Yeah. And, you know, and you also had, also nice, it, was a, it attracted a, bu a bunch of really good artists, many of whom were, you know, it, they're sort of incipient writers. There's always a question about, are they artists, the writers, if they help write the story? But whatever they were, they were storytellers. That's right. the important thing. And the collaborations between the artists and the writers, you know, uh, branched Marvel out. So, because otherwise, Marvel couldn't have existed if it still looked like Stan Lee was writing everything. Yeah. And Jack Kirby's drawing everything. Sooner or later, that had got to get stale as good as those guys mm -hmm. were. So, but when you bring other people in, the next thing you are, and then, then you end up, and once in a while, you'd hit real pay dirt. You know, uh, one of the best examples being the X-Men by Chris and first Cockerman and uh, Byrne. But you know other things too along the way. The, the weird Conan book, you know, with uh, two or three different artists. First Barry, and then with uh, Buscema, oh. and uh, with where it, you know, I remember Sam calling me in the, the day Barry finally quit the second time, and he said he was a little worried. He says, "What, what do you think is going to happen to Conan now that Barry's gone?" And I thought, as I said, "I think we're going to win fewer awards and sell more comic books," <laughs> <laughs> which is exactly what happened. You know, it wasn't. That's not a bad thing on Barry. Barry could have gone on drawing that it was selling quite well. He could have gone on drawing it forever, but the fact remained that it sold better, even better under Yusuma, you know. But uh, it also companies like making money. Companies like making money, yeah. All right, well, we're going to do really quick because it's almost over. We're going to take some questions from you guys. So if, uh, if you raise your hand, I'll point to you. Please stand up and speak loudly. Go ahead, sir. I had a question of trust to fix it. You know, you didn't have, you had Roy kind of looking over your shoulder, you had Stan looking over your shoulder from a distance, but it was all on you. And um, now it, it, it's basically, you know, it's kind of like, um, it's a whole different world. Like you, you wonder if there, maybe there's room for somebody like like Frank Miller, who was not a big deal, say before what Daredevil or whatever. Uh, you know, would would just, would somebody like that sort of be able to come out of left field without any real track record and be given Daredevil and say just play around with it, see what you want to do? You know, now, now well, it seems it seems much less likely. Now, now what they do is they want to hire Frank Miller because he did Daredevil and Batman, as opposed to you know letting somebody give a try at saving a, a comic that wasn't. 
doing so well. And uh, you know, Chris was allowed to play around with X-Men. It turned out he had a you know, nice you know, feel for it you know, and everything. I never intended to write Conan. But I, you know, sort of trapped myself into it, and I ended up, you know, liking it and doing it a lot. But uh, it, it was just a whole bunch of happy accidents that yeah. happened. Now, not all happy accidents, but the, in, the, in the long run, it, it sort of worked out pretty well. Yeah. Stan coming in and saying, hey, I want to do a book in Britain, okay? Clown, you're from Britain, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. And Herb's living there, isn't he? Yeah. Okay, you got it. <laughs> what do we call him? I don't know, uh, Captain Britain? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else? <laughs> uh, I've heard so much about Marie Severin. Everyone knows how talented she was. Can you summarize what she was like to work with and just a little about her? Don't ever peek over her shoulder while she's working. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, just... She was a talented person who really had no interest, particularly in being an artist. I, don't, I mean, she was just the, the little sister of John Severin, one of the great comic book artists. Uh, she got into, through him, she got into coloring at EC, turned out to have some real great talent for that. But again, you know, so then she went off and she's drawing for banks and different things, and then she becomes a production worker up at Marvel. And she went off and she became a pretty successful Marvel artist for a few Best years. Best in the world. Doing Doctor Strange and, and uh, uh, Incredible Hulk, but especially then during the brief time we had the Not Grand Eck book, and then she decided, you know, she just really wasn't that interested in comic books. It was a boys game kind of thing, so she just went back to doing covers and things. She was just interested in, you know, in uh, in making a living. The best, one of the best things she 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 tended to kind of keep the tone up a little bit at, at Marvel, and to keep things from getting too serious by uh, you know doing cartoons and everybody drawing terribly. Uh, embarrassing drawings uh, of everybody and of course most of us didn't see the best drawings of us we saw the best drawings her best drawings of other people <laughs> i said Marie, i said you never do any cartoons about me she had done one i really liked but uh, she said uh, i says and i said you know why don't i ever see any cartoons of me? She says, oh you're too hard to caricature she said i, said, I knew that wasn't true so i figured well they're they're, they're floating around i'm just not going to see them <laughs> that's okay yeah, yeah, she didn't do too many of Stan, though. I think she felt Stan would not necessarily appreciate it. Uh, Stan, I think, took himself a little more seriously. He wouldn't have, I don't think he would have enjoyed, he'd have, he'd have laughed and he'd have wondered what she mean by that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Thanks. Go ahead, sir. I just had a question for Mr. Claron. Um, Where? Just curious about this. Uh, what were your uh, initial impressions on working with, collaborating uh, with John Byrne when you started with uh, Marvel premiere on the Star Wars stories? Oh, this is good. Uh, the Star Wars stories. And how did that influence his eventual? Uh, no, I mean, I've been, I've, I was trying to get. He walked into the, he walked into New York with like 30 pages of, of a full issue. He did a full issue as a sample. And the moment, moment I saw that, I wanted, I ran around to every everybody I could, saying, "We got to hire this guy." Um, and uh, then he started doing stuff with Roger Stern. Um, uh, God, on the fanzine together. Um, and then we finally got him in for, God, what was it? Was it Team Up? Yeah, I think so. Uh, no, yeah, Team Up, no, Iron Fist, sorry. Oh, right. And again, that, the same thing with John is, uh, with others, you look at the first issue right. of the first issue of Iron, well, it was Marvel. Premiere? Premiere. Yeah. That he did. 
with Iron Man, and there, there's a brilliant moment in it when I've been ranking him out on it for 50 years, where you have uh, Danny Rand as Iron Fist flipping over in uh, this this uh, karate move, and somehow he screwed up and did the hands backwards. So he's like the hands are like this, only you're looking at the uh, the palms, and it was like. It was dumb, and I just you know I keep challenging readers to find it, and they never can. So I guess he was very subtle on that. But the thing with that is again, with every issue, it got better, and it was it was extraordinary. And by the time he got to issue 15, where we we threw in the X Men as his audition piece, between that and uh, Star Lord and Team Up, because he was not only I mean, he was the, the antithesis of Dave. He was not only really good, he could do two books a month, which was a lifesaver. He could do one book every two months, so it's all right. You know, if we weren't lucky, we gave, him, we gave him four months and he didn't make it. Uh, but it was, I mean, it was brilliant stuff, but it just, you know, with John, uh, we, we managed to make up for lost time. Um, but the thing, you know, it's, he was brilliant. Um, he was, the interesting thing is Dave, I've realized over the years, Dave viewed the world in 70 millimeter. I mean, you look at his stuff, you ask for a double spread of two, two star fleets fighting around a binary star, you give it to him. You know, you look at, at Gene bursting out of, out of um, Jamaica Bay. I'm sorry, I live near Jamaica Bay, it's not that deep. There's no way you could crash a space shuttle into it and it would disappear, it's just, forget about it, much less lose Jean Grey's body for 10 years. But there you go. <laughs> but he could do that. But John, John was much more 30 millimeter, I mean, 30 millimeter TV rostrum camera. He would take, he would do big shots, but it would always be very proper. He would always focus, zoom in on, on, the, on the characters, which was great. Um, but it, to me, in retrospect, it lacked the panache, the, the joie de vivre of, of John's stuff. And then Smitty came in and stitched it both together, and oh my god, we were off to the races. But that's the thing, you never know who you're gonna get teamed up with, you never know what the synergy will bring. You know, um, Barry Smith did wonderful Conans, and the minute John Buscema came in, wow, he's got pecs. I mean, he, he, he like suddenly filled the panel but it was, it was totally different, but boy, was it good to read. And just look at the way Barry got his job on Conan. He got it because John was, because he was cheap. He was new, he was cheap, he was living in, uh, in England. He was, he'd been, you know, everything, and had been kicked out of the States uh, for not having a green card or whatever. And even though know, John Buscema was, uh, was our first choice to do the uh, uh, Conan book. It was all ready, and then the publisher, Martin Goodman, came out and said, I want to get back the money we're paying for the, uh, the license. So you can't use an expensive artist. You've got to choose a cheap artist and everything. And a philosophy uh, that's that wiped out not only John Crisilla, but even Bill Kane would have been my second choice because he knew Robert E. Howard much better than I did at that stage. So I thought, I said, well, there was this kid, Barry Smith. I had read a kind of a Conan like little story with him a few months ago, and he'd been drawing other things of that sort that hadn't been in the comics that I'd seen. I said, you know, we could. He's got the cheapest rate we got. Like, I used like 20 bucks a page for pencil for a job is 40 or 50. About half the rate or less. God, 40 and, uh, or 50. So Barry, you know, 
gets, it's like called Barry says, you want to draw a code? And so Barry says, yeah, sure. So he, you know, that was it. By the time he, by the time he left, he was getting a much better rate. But by that time, he was putting so much into the art that we could have paid him twice what John Massimo was getting, and it still wouldn't have paid for all those leaves he drew in every day. <laughs> this is incredible, like such historical stuff. How simple it happened. It's just like, oh, we just had to get him, and it's just like it's funny how it ends that up. We got any more questions? We got a little bit. Go ahead, sir. So, Roy, you created Wolverine. Well, code, okay. you know, just the original, but yes. you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from the land. And the but I made him better. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes, you actually gave him a personality over time. No, I just so, swiped Hugh Jackman. So, <laughs> what were your thoughts when they killed him off? I mean, you know, oh, really? You killed him off? Oh. You really? You believe that? He'll, I mean, I killed a redhead. He'll get better. He'll get better. He'll be back. Nobody dies in college. He is back. No, no. Because he, he did come back, right? He got free from the... Yeah, but... Free from where? Oh, because... Oh, luckily, I don't even want to tell. They, he was encased in that added mantium. And then... No, no, no. That was Han Solo. Come on. Get out no. of <laughs> But now he's, his, his claws heat up now, and that's how, no, right, right. That's a good, see, we don't go there. We should have One time I was explaining. It's all just, you know, it's all, it's all just a Yeah, these, these guys, you don't talk. One time I was explaining to Roy and uh, Steve Englehart about how they killed off the Submariner, and then they, they just brought him back, and just the look on Steve Englehart's face was just like, what? Like, you know, it's just, yeah, we don't go there. That's too, we don't go there. Next question. <laughs> You've got to realize the thing, you know, the collateral. I thought I did what I thought was really cool. I created a black submariner. And only after we, I'd done the story did it occur to me, wait a minute. He's underwater his whole life. Yeah. So how come he's black? Color fades underwater. He would, he would pale out, uh, divorced from the sun. And I was like, oh, maybe I... Maybe I should read more science. Maybe you shouldn't overthink. There you go. See, both sides of the same coin. Since uh, Wolverine is, you've written him so many times, what do you think about his claws heating up now? Like, it never happened before. Did you ever allude to that? <laughs> Isn't that yeah, so bizarre? Well, you mean as opposed to, like, turning into a, a guy made out of bricks? You know, stretching your body a thousand, you know, it seems like a thousand miles. I mean, getting bitten by a radioactive spider. <laughs> you know. Oh my God. Yes. It's, it's, it's all make-believe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, um, you know, all the stars and all the galaxies and all the universe, how come that little rocket ship lands in, oh, Kansas? Right next to Field of Dreams. That's welcome to comic books. We make it up as we go along. And not too much thought goes into it in the first place. Most of it is like, hmm, let's fix this mistake. Oh, look where this goes. Ooh, this is cool. And you're off and running. Okay, uh, last question here. Last one. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'll try to get you two. A student from Mr. Professor Xavier's school. What do you, what do you miss, dude? So I can never figure that out. Why is it always Xavier? It's Xavier. Xavier. Right. Maybe I've always been Xavier. Like yeah, Xavier right. Kuga. They never right. said Xavier. Right. Well, some people did. You know, it's uh, like, uh, sorry. Of all the characters that each of you worked on, which did you say were the most entertaining and the most challenging to write and develop? Go ahead, Chris. Oh, um, all the characters I've ever worked on? 
In all honesty, they're not ready for primetime players. <laughs> the, the one with uh, Dave Letterman. No. The one that the, um... No, the this is the Saturday team... Night, oh, the Saturday Night Live yeah, one. Yeah, I'm sorry, sorry. I'm oh, sorry, I was thinking of the... You Lord. tried channeling John Belushi for three months and figuring out, it's got to be funny. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I mean, it's... Spider-Man is easy. Real people are hard. Real people who are comics for a living. I have no sense of humor. This is a challenge. Okay, your turn. <laughs> uh, I, I, I suppose the character, I don't know why, but because I'm not really too much like it, but I, I, my favorite character to write always was, uh, was Conan. I don't know exactly why, because uh, it wasn't anything I even read until I, until I started thinking about adapting, about doing a sword and sorcery comic. I, never, I just bought them for the Presenta covers and stuck them on a, uh, on a shelf, and, and then I started reading them, and I thought, well, this guy is a lot better than these other guys writing the same kind of stuff, and, and so forth. And this character he made up, it, it, it wasn't a fully developed character exactly, but he got in such interesting situations, he seemed to have a sort of a rough code, you know, and so forth. And so I just liked him, so I liked him better than any character I ever, I never liked the characters I made up, I never enjoyed, I mean, the vision I kind of enjoyed writing, but, but I enjoyed Conan more than anybody. If other characters I made up, or, or had a hand in making up, the vision would probably be my favorite comic book to write all the time was uh, All-Star Squadron because it had a cast of 8,700 and, uh, you know, and it wasn't exactly the best idea for a commercial thing to have the, the whole cast change from issue to issue as to who was going to be featured. But by that time I had lost such interest in, in doing a commercial comic, I just wanted to do whatever I you know, wanted to do. Well, the coolest thing, one of the cooler things I remember was, like, Stan had this great idea. We, 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 we have two licensed properties and we figured we, which one would, would we go for? Which one would be successful? And Stan had his, had his bets on Logan's run because it was really cool. <laughs> then, of course, we saw the movie. And Roy, Roy had faith in this guy in California who'd come up with this really kind of weird idea about a galaxy far, far away in a time long ago. And so he, he was pushing for that. And Stan was, as I recall, didn't think it would work. You know, who's going to buy this stupid thing? You know, and then of course, Star Wars opened and <laughs> the rest, as they say, was history. I mean, God, we were publishing that thing every other I didn't day. Think that thing, I didn't think that thing was necessarily going to sell well. I just thought it might. It might. It had a shot. And it was uh, definitely so more fun Actually, Marvel, of course, didn't, you know, Logan's both, both run didn't do too badly, I suppose. But, you know, it, it had a little series afterward. Star Wars, you know, we had no idea up to the time it opened, uh, really. You know, yeah. up to that stage, it was just a, a comic book. Shaking carrots a little about it. He was farming out all the work and doing ghost work. And I didn't care. I just gave it to Jake and said, break it down into six pieces and I'll do some dialogue with it and that'll be it. And I, and I zoomed through it as best I could. I look back at it now and wish I had you know, done it differently. But, you know, it was just another comic. The thing I always remember is that the, I forget his name offhand because I didn't know him well, but the, the uh, circulation director. Uh, oh, jeez. Um, anyway, he was a very good circulation director, but he came, he came up to me Soon after, after I helped uh, Charlie Lippincott from uh, George's right-hand man, and I sort of talked Stan into doing uh, Star Wars and giving us new. He says, he says, listen, says, six issues. You want to do a six-issue adaptation? That's a lot. If the first they don't sell, we'll be out there. That's the market. We'll be out there with six issues. He says, can you do it in one or two? And I, and I said, well, I said, you know, we only got 17 
18 pages in a book now. That would be, you know, I said, this, this is, that would be like Dell Comics. I had no interest in writing the Dell Comics movie adaptation. Mm -hmm. I said, if you, you know, I, I'm not making an extra dime out of this, you know, or I never did either. But uh, I said, if you want to have somebody else write it, I'll step aside. But I said, if, it's, if I'm going to do it, it's going to be six issues, because that's what I feel we need to do the thing. So he just went off mumbling. And about a week before the movie came out, my friend Ed Summer, mm -hmm. uh, who ran the Super Snack comic store in New York, was walking the hall, and he saw, the, and he saw this thing, guy says, yeah, I says, God, you know, because he knew that George, that uh, my friend Ed was in business sort of with George Lucas. Uh, George was a silent partner in one of his art businesses, and he said, uh, says, you know, we're, we're really going to take a bath on that Star Wars, you know, thing that you know, your friend sold us there. You know, they took a bath, all right. They took a bath like Uncle Scrooge took his bath. You know? <laughs> it, was so, it was so great. It was so wonderful that after about the second, third, or fourth reprinting of Tabloid and this and that and so forth, that Stan, I'll, I'll turn away in just a minute or so, but, but Stan really annoyed me one day. Archie Goodman was the, was the editor-in-chief, but I was my own editor. I didn't report to him at all. And uh, uh, he, he called me to tell me that Stan had didn't like some faces in a cull story that was a backup story in this issue of Savage Sword Conan wasn't in the lead, so he had Marie Severin change all the faces without. Oh God, I remember without uh, well, and Rick Hoberg. Sorry, yeah. I said, I said, and he says, I just thought I should tell you because Stan had the authority to do that. I said, so, so what, what do you think? He says, well, I says, well, will you give Mister Lee a message for him? I said, he says, yeah, okay. He says, tell Mister Lee that instead of having somebody change the faces on a story that his editor and writer of uh, thinks is just perfectly fine uh, and didn't need to be changed at all, that he should sit down and write me a check for bringing Star Wars to him because they made so much money out of it. And Archie said, are you sure you want me to tell Stan exactly that? I said, you can tell it to him word for word. I'm out there in California, he's not gonna hit me. But, uh, he was living out in California then too. Not, no, he wasn't out there. Uh, this was a year or so before he did. I said, but, well, I was under contract, but in a year or two, he's gonna give me trouble. But I said, uh, I said yeah, you can, you can tell that word for word. You know, and so, okay, I was, you know, I was a little annoyed because I knew how much that stuff was selling, and I was really annoyed about the changes without consultation. So uh, I said, okay, so, so I, and I told people, I said, the only thing I know is, I said, if, that, if, if and when I get a check, you know, and I did, you know, I got a note back, oh, I got a call from Archie, or, or, or a letter from Stan, says that it has come to our attention <laughs> that you brought the Star Wars project to us, and uh, we're repairing, so we're, it's going to be our pleasure to send you money, but I told people that you know, if it wasn't a four-figure check, you know, they would never hear from me. They never heard from me. I, it was like a $500 check. It was nice, and I spent it. But I never <laughs> that, you know, because they were making like, you know, but that kept them in business. It wasn't like I was so prescient that I knew it was going to save the company. I just got, you know, kind of lucky in choosing the right uh, project yeah. and everything. Simply, and my influence was all, hey, this is the guy that did American Graffiti. How bad can it be? <laughs> but see, that, that's the nature of comics. It's being in the right place at the right yeah. time with the right gig. And being very lucky. Bingo. You know, this is... Like when you when you throw craps, you gotta you know sometimes it hits and know the you know. Okay, Ooh. last one. You up there, sir? Yes. Uh, you two had touched on this earlier. Where do you see the comics industry in five, maybe ten years? Ah, oh, this. <laughs> <laughs> I I like to see them stay in business because then maybe they'll keep 
you know, uh, reprinting my stuff and sending me checks and making movies and sending me checks. So other, other wait, 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 wait. wouldn't care you that get, much. But you get checks for movies? Well, not big ones, but they're, they're there for, for some of them. Don't you? You must. You get guest appearances, though. Yeah, you get guest appearances. <laughs> I, get more money, I get more money on a SAG contract. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, okay, I will concede, though, that Legion, Bill and I got big credits, which I love, you know. Right. Perhaps, perhaps Marvel will follow their lead. No, I mean... Although I do remember Len Green saying he made more money out of what, Lucius Fox, the guy who makes Catman? Yeah, oh my god, yes. That he got more money out of that than he got out of everything from Marvel. They just have different oh, scales. Yes. I mean, well, Tony Isabella for, for yeah. well, Black Lightning. Holy, I, I, you know, and unfortunately, so maybe I should have stayed with that more wiser as as my old friend um, Russ Jones used to say when he lived, he said, uh, he says nobody's throwing any benefits for me. He said, you know, that's the way. I've got, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get by. If somebody else makes more money, less money, whatever the hell. We have we've had a good time. Uh, Chris, you've been in the field for about half a century now. I've been in for fifty-five uh, plus years. You've been in for about a half a century. I, I don't know. need to bring that up. But that's all right. I had. Yeah, we've done all right. We've had a good run. Made a few what do you mean This is what I'm thinking. It's like you know, but. Bob McLeod and I will probably be well past our centenaries and still asking the question, will new mutants ever come out? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's only 2,500 bucks and we have to split it five ways. But, you know, so Maisie, how, how do you like your film? It's fine! Gee, <laughs> Wizakers. This is what I say. Let the new X-Men, when they're coming into the MCU, let Chris Claremont write it, and when King Conan or, or Red Sonia comes, let Roy Thomas write those movies. Here we have everybody, give round of applause for two legends, Chris Claremont, Roy Thomas. The Talk Nerdy to Me Network. Thank you for listening.